do a lot of talking, bro. You do a lot of talking. All that screaming. Well, you better hope you can play as long as me. Hey, when you get on your knees and say your prayers tonight, pray. What happened between you and Tlaib on the field early in the game? I don't know. You go ask him because he didn't finish the game. Ice up, son. Ice up. <laughs> Live. In the entertainment capital of the world. It's the T.C. Martin Show. I know you're going to dig this. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. The doctor is now in. Yeah, boy. Yeah, glad to have you with us. Middle of the work week, proverbial hump day on this Wednesday, right? T.C. Martin Show. Streaming live, of course, tcmartinshow.com, and of course, here locally in Vegas as well here at 1400. Glad to have you with us, and uh, we continue on covering the very sad and tragic situation here in Las Vegas regarding the automobile accident that occurred early yesterday morning with Henry Ruggs, the former wide receiver of the Las Vegas Raiders. We will talk more about that, give you some more detailed uh, updates regarding uh, everything has transpired since we last left the air here 24 hours ago. And again, that was a pretty fresh breaking story when we uh, were here yesterday uh, talking about the accident that occurred at 3.39 in the morning yesterday morning. But uh, we had Heidi Fang on, if you remember, during this hour. And she was there at the jail. And she said, I, they're bringing somebody in right now. Uh it might be rugs. Well, it was. <laughs> they ended up booking him at two uh, eleven p.m. So we'll go over the timeline. We'll go over all that with you uh, today, and we'll get uh, uh, plenty of uh, thoughts and updates on that. All right, T.J. Reeves is going to join us. Our guy from Tampa Bay, the part of the broadcasting crew with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as the Buccaneers coming off that loss on Sunday against the New Orleans Saints. So we'll go to Tampa Bay and talk to T.J. Reeves a little bit later on in this hour. Next hour, we talk about the Aaron Rodgers situation, what is happening with him. He has tested positive, so breaking news with that. Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers quarterback, tested positive for COVID-19. He will not play Sunday versus the Chiefs. Apparently, Aaron Rodgers, not vaccinated. Mm. Must be quarantined for a minimum of 10 days. Can't return until the earliest at November the 13th if he remains asymptomatic. But uh, Rodgers apparently had an alternate treatment prior to training camp, then petitioned the NFL for that treatment to allow him to be considered the same as someone who received one of the approved vaccinations. Uh, But after going back and forth with the NFL, they ruled that he would not get the same consideration of being a, a vaccinated player. Therefore, they considered him unvaccinated, Therefore, he has to follow the COVID protocols if you test positive, which he has, and that is a minimum of 10 days. So he is going to miss more than likely two games. So I got some serious thoughts about this. I mean, how does this happen? How does this happen? I'll tell you why. Because of leadership or lack thereof. And this goes back to Mark Murphy, the president of the Green Bay Packers, Brian Gutekunst, the general manager, and even head coach Matt LaFleur. This is your franchise quarterback. Remember, Green Bay's only had two of them going back for the last 25 years, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. This is also the league MVP. So how does this happen? Simple. Non-communication with the guy like you've heard me talk about time and time again, that is very aloof, that is uh, a guy that's going to march to the beat of his own drum and has, will do things what he want, how he wants to do it, when he wants to do it. And remember, just go back to what you had to live through if you're a Packer fan during the course of this past offseason. Aaron Rodgers threatening not to come back and play. Was very noncommittal when it came to that. So this is a guy who's going to do what he wants to do. This is a guy who just got done last weekend dressing up as John Wick for Halloween. John Wick! (laughs) I don't know. You know, the John Wick thing was cool. Those movies were all right. But it's it's not one that I really need to see a part two and a part three of, okay? I mean, it's not like The Equalizer. I mean, show me more of The Equalizer. 
I, I can't get enough of Denzel in the equalizer. Nonstop. I mean, anybody working at Home Depot that, needs, that, that can work a, a nail gun like that, I mean, sign me up. I want more Denzel. Or how about that as your lift driver? Denzel. Equalizer 2, being that lift driver. You know what I'm talking about? Anyway, I digress. But that's quite okay. That's what we do here. But how does this happen where you don't know that your quarterback, your star quarterback, the reigning NFL MVP is not vaccinated? Well, that's where it is. They knew. The Green Bay Packers, of course, knew that he was not vaccinated. And I'm sure the NFL knew he wasn't vaccinated and just said, hey, we're going to, you know, there are some non-vaccinated players, but this is one of the biggest stars in the league. Like I said, again, your MVP. What needs to happen in these situations is upper management needs to talk to your star player and say, listen, we need you. Especially when you got a guy who's never started a game behind you, Jordan Love. Not a meaningful game. You need to get with Aaron Rodgers and say, you know what? Get vaccinated. And you know, all this nonsense about saying that you can't, you know, it's, it's a person's own right, and that's, okay, bottom line is, you work for the team, the Green Bay Packers. You work for the National Football League. And the National Football League should just plain and simple say, players are getting vaccinated. You want to play? You want to... You want your check? You get vaccinated. But that's not that far out, okay? We can say this because look at what the Raiders have done with their fans. Look what UNLV's announcement was with basketball yesterday. They said, you want to come to the games? You must be vaccinated. Many people applauding. Well done, UNLV. Great. The Raiders, well done. Do you hear anybody complaining? One thing you know, when you go to a game in Allegiant Stadium or now when you go to the Thomas and Mack Center to go see UNLV, you're, you're safe because you're going to be around people that have that same card that you have, okay? And people that aren't vaccinated, sorry, you can't go to the games. Plain and simple. And people, this has turned into a political thing now. It, it's, it's political, why you don't want to get vaccinated or whatever. And for Aaron Rodgers, it could be that, who knows what. But knowing Aaron Rodgers a little bit like I do, this is just about him being difficult. You're not going to tell me what to do. Just like management. You're not going to tell me what to do. Oh, you're going to draft uh, my successor in the first round two years ago? Oh, fine. Okay. Okay. Then I'll tell you when I want to show up in training camp, if I'm going to show up in training camp. Plain and simple. Then you back off a little bit and say, I love these guys. We're having a great season, huh? We lost lost one game this year. I'm not on two games. We're, we're good. We're all good. And now he gets COVID. And has refused to get vaccinated. It just needs to come from the top. That if you want to portray that we've got a safe league, then just mandate all of your players, all of your personnel, coaches, front office, execs, everybody, be vaccinated. Be on the same page. Pretty much that's what the WNBA has done. The NBA is close to that, but you still have some outliers out there. People that don't want to do it. And those are the guys that are going to have to go through different protocols. And eventually, if you do get COVID, they're going to cost your team. Aaron Rodgers right now, yeah, he's cost his team. they got a big game. Probably their biggest game of the season is coming up on Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs. And he is not going to be available for his team that he claims he loves so much. So, yeah. Am I on Aaron Rodgers a little bit? Yeah. You know? Nobody likes getting shot up. But the bottom line is, you're doing it for yourself, for your family, but you're also doing it for the people that you are around every day. Your loved ones, your teammates, your co-workers. That's why you're getting vaccinated. Dr. Christina Madison is going to join us next hour as well, too. And we're going to get her thoughts on this. Because I want to talk to Christina, and she's great about this. Not just from a local perspective, but you know, she gets the sports angle and everything as well here, too. Aaron Rodgers says that he was immunized. Going back to training camp, and Rob Demosky, who I know very well, worked with Green Bay. He had worked for the Green Bay Press-Gazette for all those years, and then he got the job with, with ESPN. And Rob even said earlier today, he said, you know, when we asked Aaron Rodgers, were you vaccinated? Have you gotten vaccinated? He says, 
I was immunized. And even Rob says, you know, we probably should have followed up on that. But because they don't want to upset Aaron Rodgers, they let it die. Okay, well, I guess that means he got vaccinated. Okay, move on to the next topic, next question, next subject. Now you're saying, what does that mean? So I want to ask Christine Madison today, what does Aaron Rodgers mean that he got, he was immunized, that he took an alternate vaccine? What, he went up to Canada? He took something else? Somewhere else in a foreign country? What does that mean? And Aaron Rodgers isn't talking about it, so we're not going to know. But what we do know is, and Packer fans know, that he's not playing this week against the Kansas City Chiefs, a team that is really struggling. And this could be the get-back game that we always talk about with the Chiefs. They won, you know, um, on on Monday night. But, man, that was ugly. It, it, it was ugly the way they won. So we'll see what happens with the Chiefs taking on the Packers on Sunday without facing Aaron Rodgers. All right? Oh, and by the way, you got Jordan Love as your second-string quarterback. You know, you, know, you know how many quarterbacks the Packers have on their active roster right now? One. That's it. Jordan Love. That's all they got because their third-string quarterback is Kurt Benkert. The third-string quarterback, he's got COVID too. <laughs> so Rodgers has it. Benkert's got it. He tested positive. So Jordan Love is the only quarterback of the Green Bay Packers roster right now. So the Packers have reached out to Blake Bortles. There will be another Blake Bortles sighting. And Bortles was actually with the Packers during training camp, if you remember. Then they released and let him go. So they expected to sign him today, and he is going to be available to play on Sunday if the Packers need him, and maybe into next week as well, too. But how's that? Blake Bortles, when he came in this league with the Jacksonville Jaguars, very good career at Central Florida. I mean, he thought this guy was going to have a, a long career, and now he's coming in as a backup to Jordan Love. All right? A middle-of-the-road Utah State Mountain West Conference quarterback back in the day who is really going to get his first taste of, of live fire here and uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday. All right, so, yeah, we'll talk more about that with Dr. Christina Madison. So we've got that. And, of course, the World Series. Yes, we must talk about the World Series. Game six last night, it was all Atlanta. They beat the Astros 7-0 last night. Atlanta wins in six games. Yes, uh, kudos to the Braves. Congratulations to the Braves. They were the better team in this series. The matchup last night with Luis Garcia and Max Freed, it turned out to be one-sided. We talked to Steve Sachs. We talked to Chris Bozzi, our two baseball guys. And, and Bozio said it. He said if Max Freed is going to go more to the breaking ball, he could have a good game. And, and he did. Uh, actually went away totally from his game plan you know, with more fastballs and the sliders that he did in game number two in Houston where he, he was shelled for six runs. He took care of business uh, yesterday, and, and he was great. He shut down the Astros' bats. And, yes, the Astros' bats were dormant. They were only alive in games two, you know, where they scored seven runs, and then they scored nine runs in game number five in Atlanta, and that was it. Yesterday, a lot of hope, a lot of anticipation. A lot. The Astros were a dollar thirty-five favorite in this game, and a lot of people thought, "Okay, they're going to win Game Six. We're going to get to a Game Seven. It never materialized that way because, not just because of Max Freed, but because of the bats. And we talked about how the offense was going to be the determining factor in the series. That's exactly what it was. As Jorge Soler just fouled off pitch after pitch after pitch in the third inning against Luis Garcia on a three-two pitch. And Garcia gave him, gave him that curveball, and it went 446 feet. Not in the Crawford boxes, but onto Crawford Street. Yes, went on to Crawford Street. So they have Crawford Street blocked off during the games. Uh, so, you know, because they, like they have a DJ and they have bands and all that sort of thing. People were trying to run and get the ball that were outside of the stadium last night in Minute Maid Park. And... They, they saw the ball, but they couldn't get to it because the police had Crawford Street blocked off. So anyway, uh, that was the ball game right there. That was 3 nothing at that point in time. Light-hitting Dansby Swanson, hitting the bottom of the order, connecting on a two-run shot to make it 5 nothing. That was it. That was done. You know, Freddie Freeman comes to the party. You know, it's 7 nothing. There it is. 
All the Braves runs basically coming on homers. And that game was over last night in the third inning when Luis Garcia just hand-delivered a beautiful pitch to Jorge Soler and gives Soler all the credit in the world. This guy has battled wherever he's been. He was with the Cubs. He was a young guy. He was a light-hitting guy. Some seasons couldn't hit over 220. Always had power, but he was a strikeout king. Cubs says, we're going to move on. Goes over to the Royals. And now he's really found a home in Atlanta. And he's going to earn himself a nice little contract. A big contract as well. Especially coming off of the MVP performance that he had in this World Series. But after Soler's three-run shot onto Crawford Street, ball game over last night. So kudos to the Braves. Happy for Brian Snicker. A guy who's been with the organization for 40-plus years. You know, a, a guy like Dusty Baker. Uh, you know, Brian Snicker is a quiet guy. You know, he's a guy that doesn't, you know, get too hyped up when it's going good, never gets too low, and he managed himself a great World Series. So, congratulations to the Braves. Uh, do I feel bad for Dusty Baker, my friend? Of course I do. Definitely do. Because he, 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 he did a fantastic job, took a job basically that nobody wanted to have, and for the last two seasons, um, improved this team. And he said that last night in the post-game press conference, post-game interview. And that's exactly what the Astros did do. Because they were, they were in a tailspin after, after 2019. And even though they had a shortened season last year, they took the Rays to a Game 7, the ALCS. And then this year they get two, two wins away from a World Series. Had the home field advantage. Had a great record. And uh, kudos for Dusty and those guys. And this Astros team is, is going to look different. Brett Strom's not coming back. Their pitching coach. More than likely, Carlos Correa, as much as he loves Houston, he loves his teammates, he loves the Astros organization, loves the city of Houston, more likely he's not going to um, come back uh, because he's going to get offered a ton of money. And look at all the shortstops that are out there. They're going to command all kinds of money. It'll be interesting to see when free agency starts. Um, you know who's going to get the money and who's going to sign first, and could Carlos Correa be that three hundred fifty million dollar guy, four hundred million dollar guy? We'll see. I would love to see him back in Houston. Love to see Dusty back in Houston, but we don't know if that's going to happen because he's operating without a contract right now. So it'll be interesting to see what the Houston Astros do. But World Series done, baseball talk over for the most part today, and uh, the Astros lose to the Braves. 7 nothing Anticlimactic game last night, but champagne flowing in the visitors' uh, locker room in the clubhouse last night for the Atlanta Braves. All right. Henry Ruggs, we've got some audio to play for you for that as well, too. Let's get you an update on that situation. Very tragic day, as we talked about yesterday, began when Ruggs and his girlfriend were at Top Golf, obviously drinking too much, got into his car, speeding down Rainbow Boulevard, approximately 3.30 in the morning, got involved in a crash, was on Rainbow near Spring Valley when the crash happened, when his Corvette rear-ended into a Toyota RAV4. The RAV4 burst into flames. The driver was dead immediately when police were called on the scene. Uh, There were some witnesses that said that they heard the woman screaming. She was 23 years old. She had a dog in her car. Neither her nor the dog uh, survived this uh, horror, horrifying accident. Ruggs and his girlfriend were seen uh, very distraught, yelling, screaming, and crying on the side of the road. Uh, police said that he was inebriated. He was taken to UMC for non-life-threatening injuries. At 2.11 yesterday afternoon when we talked about it, he was taken to the Clark County Detention Center and booked into custody. At about 7 p.m., the Raiders officially released him. Henry Ruggs not a member of the Raiders anymore as of 7 o'clock last night. So here's what we know today as this story as we, you know, is, continues to develop and unfold here. All right? Ruggs was traveling at 156 miles per hour. That's right. 156 miles per hour going down Rainbow Boulevard. At the time of the impact, 
He believed he was going about 127 miles per hour when the airbags deployed. Uh, Judge uh, Joe Bonaventure said he cannot recall a speed that high in his entire career on the bench. 156 miles an hour. We all know Rainbow. We've all traveled Rainbow. 156. Which means, more than likely, that this poor girl in the RAV4 was probably stopped at a stoplight. And then the Corvette, being smaller, went underneath, immediately made the RAV4 burst into flames. And this poor girl and her dog never had a chance. They were killed instantly. The RAV4, after she was hit, the victim's vehicle traveled 571 feet after Ruggs' car crashed into it. And his Corvette traveled 519 feet post-impact. Wow. Just think about that. More to the story. The blood was drawn from Henry Ruggs within two hours of the accident at the time that the accident happened. And the blood alcohol level was 0.161. That's more than twice the legal limit. Also, he was in possession of a firearm. Loaded firearm in his car. You go to Top Golf, have some drinks, be there with your girlfriend, stay out way too late, driving like a madman down Rainbow Boulevard with a loaded gun in your car. Seemed like no cares in the world. And people say, and I heard a lot of people, you know, come out and, and, and talk, you know, whether it's law enforcement or attorneys and just general people saying, why didn't he get an Uber? Why didn't he get a Lyft? Because these are athletes. And a guy like Henry Ruggs, they don't think about lifts. They don't think about that. He drives a Corvette. In his mind, he's untouchable. He's wearing the bling. He's in his early 20s. He's got a multi-million dollar contract. He was a first-round pick with the Raiders, 12th overall. He thinks he can do whatever he wants. And I'm not trying to get into Henry Ruggs' mind, speaking for him. I'm just generalizing and saying this is how athletes think. They're not thinking like we're thinking. Hey, I'm drunk. Somebody talked me into getting a Lyft, an Uber, something like that. No. I got a Corvette outside. I'm fine. I'm fine. And again, if you really are concerned, then you'll drive at the speed limit and be extremely careful. Not like, hey, look at me. Look at my Corvette. I'm going 156, baby. Let's go. Pump up the jams and let's go. No. You caused a death by being drunk out of your mind, being inebriated, not making the right decision, and now, if you're Henry Ruggs, you're going to have to pay for this for the rest of your life. And his girlfriend, the mother of his child, as well, too. She's behind bars here. Well, actually, she's not behind bars. But actually, there is nothing they can really do legally uh, with her because she she was just a passenger. So I retract that part of it. So the Raiders made their release yesterday. The Raiders said they were aware of the accident involving Henry Ruggs that occurred yesterday morning in Las Vegas. They wanted to see how this thing played out. They didn't wait too long because later last night, the Raiders' statement read this. The Raiders have released Henry Ruggs. That was it. Plain, simple, to the point. They were done. And remember, this accident comes nearly a year after Josh Jacobs got a DUI crashing his car into the tunnel of the wall at McCarran Airport after the Raiders had just returned from Denver from, from their flight, from their game. And Jacobs got behind a wheel because he was drinking on the plane and his blood alcohol level was not quite that. So he didn't do any time, even though he, he was taken into custody, if you remember. I believe his blood alcohol level was uh, 0.08, right around there. That, it, was, it was somewhere around there. So just slightly above the legal limit. So he was cited, didn't have to do uh, any time. But again, this Raiders organization has really gone through some tough times here for all off-the-field stuff. 
And this team is playing good football right now. They're playing good football. But to have to endure that situation last year with one of your star players, your star running back, and now your star wide receiver is done completely. And his life is going to be completely changed. He'll be doing prison time for a long, long time. Remember, this offense is punishable anywhere from 2 to 20 years. And we've seen things happen here in Clark County like this. The more high-profile you are, the less leniency they really have for you. And we've seen that in in several cases here. So we'll continue to follow the story, uh, continue to talk to people. Uh, Our crew that is out on the the scene, we talked to Heidi Fang yesterday. Uh, They are all at Raiders headquarters right now because right now the Raiders are holding uh, their press conference as we speak right now at their facility in Henderson. So Derek Carr is taking the podium. Rich Pisaccia taking the podium. This is the first time we've heard from them for, in nearly two weeks because, remember, the Raiders had a bye week, and uh, all the players were off, and they were not uh, expected to report, didn't have to report, back to practice today to get ready for the game Sunday against the Giants in New Jersey. So Ruggs, uh, we don't know if, where he was during the course of uh, the majority of the bye week. If he hung around town, a lot of players... We'll go on trips, they'll vacation, they'll go back home to see family. Uh, but Ruggs was in town at Top Golf late night, Monday night, early Tuesday morning, and uh, and then now finds himself, uh, you know, booked in jail. I believe was released today as well too. And that's another uh, big thing that people are saying. Well, why should this guy be released? He made bail. Why shouldn't he just still be behind bars? So, yeah, a lot of different elements to it. So, like I said, uh, so as we do in the show now, we'll have uh, we'll, we'll have definitely have that audio for you for tomorrow's show, maybe even later on. Rich Pisaccia talking, and then Derek Carr, the face now and the leader of this Raiders team. Uh, they are speaking uh, not only about this situation, uh, but also uh, about the, the game coming up this week. And we don't know if we're going to hear from Mike Mayock. Maybe Mark Davis will also speak today as well, too. Uh, being the, the head of this organization. Obviously, Mark Davis is the one that made this decision to release Henry Ruggs immediately, just like he decided to release John Gruden immediately after the email scandal. So you go back to July with this Raiders organization. Mark Bedane suddenly resigns for no apparent reason. We now find out that the president of the Raiders, Mark Bedane, at that point in time, he, uh, according to Mark Davis, who just came out and said last week, he said there were uh, financial irregularities. That was why Mark Bedane was let go. But at the point in time, we didn't know. Then you have the John Gruden situation, the email scandal, you know, for his comments that he made going back three weeks ago, and now you have to deal with Henry Ruggs. So the Raiders organization really going through some tough times right now. And some people, we don't even know where, how these players are going to feel right now I mean, knowing what Henry Ruggs did and with him not being there, I mean, they got to start thinking about moving forward and playing the football. And maybe if any team could do it, maybe the Raiders can because having to lose the face of your franchise, the $10 million a year coach in John Gruden, and knowing what he said and you know what his emails contained, I mean, we know that, that there were players that uh, Carl Nassim needed to take some time off, needed to take a day or two off. Because he didn't appreciate what Gruden's email was, being the first openly gay player in the National Football League coming out who played for John Gruden, plays for the Raiders. So you don't know how these players are going to be here in the next couple of days as they get ready to play football. So there we go. All right, so when we come back, we'll talk to T.J. Reeves. We'll start talking about the rest of the National Football League. We'll continue to keep an eye on developments with the Henry Ruggs situation and uh, – what the Raiders are saying uh, as well, too. But this is a Wednesday. We talk a little Tampa Bay Buccaneers football, the NFL. Next hour, we talk uh, a little bit more about the Aaron Rodgers situation. Hang with us here on this Wednesday, T.C. Martin Show. Now, back to more of Las Vegas' favorite sports madman, the Dr. T.C. Martin. Don't forget, come join us Friday at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. Best bet segment, of course, on fire. Continue on with that. 
Come on out, check out the show live from 2 to 4 p.m. And also take advantage of the promo. That's right, $53 in your account. Mm-hmm. That's right. Use that promo code TC50. Open a brand new William Hill account. Deposit at least $50 in your new account. They'll match it with an additional $50. Use the promo code TC50 at any of the William Hill Sportsbook properties. And, of course, the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. See the show live each and every Friday. All right, a man who has joined us at the Cosmopolitan when he has visited. He rarely visits. I mean, can rarely make make the move. Uh, getting out of the house there in, in Florida to come to beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. But he's on the road just about every weekend, if not with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or broadcasting college football as well. This is TJ Reeves, our Buck sideline reporter. What is happening, my man? Always good to be with my initials brother from another mother. Uh, yes, that does seem like it was a little while ago that we were out there in the summer. I do need to be part of a yes. football Friday at some point at the Cosmopolitan because it's a happening thing. And here's the thing, though. You know, you are asking me every week to just drop everything. All right, it doesn't matter if I'm in Houston or if I'm on, on the road, Phoenix. It doesn't matter. Drop everything. Just drop it. Hey, I need your winners. I need the, the Three Dog Thursday podcast. I That's need correct. you. You know what, T.J. Reese? Well, you need to come. Hold on. St- stand mistake. by. You, yeah. you need to come to, to the Cosmopolitan so you can participate in our best bets. I understand. The okay. best bets. The best bets is well known. But you have already demonstrated you don't need me because you're rolling. <laughs> Your mistake you made is that you started hitting every NFL game second week, third week. I'm asking you for one NFL doggy, and they're not just covering. They're winning outright. And so now you have a following. Now you have legions of people that are interested in the T.C. Martin underdog on Three Dog Thursday to the point that you've now hit seven of eight, including from in line last week trying to get your tickets to game two of the World Series. You're like, I'm not going to be denied. I, I, am, I am simply going to make this pick even from the line trying to get your tickets. And you took those New Orleans Saints against my Tampa Bay Buccaneers and another outright winner for the doctor. So that's seven out of eight weeks. So if you didn't want to keep coming on the show, you should have uh, sandbagged like earlier in the season. But now that you've been winning, there's an expectation, brother, of you presenting underdogs every week on this show, at least one on the, uh, on the roll call. And in fact, you've done so well, I want to roll the red carpet out and have TC be the handicapper of the week. I'm expecting not one, not two, but three underdogs from you on this week's show We'll get that done. We'll get that up. And again, the man's on a roll. I'm promoting the way. The man is on a roll with making these picks. That sounds like a lot of pressure right now. A lot, a lot of pressure putting on me. That's right. You know, seven out of eight. Uh, and I'm going to talk about the, the the eighth one that I had. I lost in overtime. I could have got a field goal, but no. It was the Dallas Cowboys had to score a touchdown in overtime in that right. game a couple weeks ago. And I do believe TJ that six out of those seven winners were. Winners outright. I mean, you're right. That's unheard of. Winners outright. You are rolling, my friend. You are rolling. (laughs) And again, your public is behind you. We need you on Three Dog Thursday. You are very much wanted between that and the best bets. I don't know how you make time for anybody else. I don't I know. know how it happens. I, I just need to have you talk to my agent. Okay, that's it. I'm, I'm flirting. You're going to the agent for now on. I mean, what am I doing? What am I coming on there? I, I need to be getting paid here. Listen, Plain and simple. Listen. There it is. If, if not that, in some food or some food how for many Mrs. Reeves. How's that? You off the air? How many times have I advised you off the air? you got to stop negotiating with Numchuck doing your deals for you this because then true. you end up doing this for like ketchup and mustard instead of what you should. So no, Numchuck <laughs> is no longer part of of brokering the T.C. Martin appearances and deals. You got that there, Nubchuck? There it is. Breaking news. Nubchuck is fired. They're fired. He's gone. He's leaving the building. Wait a minute. I got no one else to do the show now. Look, we we should have fired him at 4 o'clock. That's what we should have did. <laughs> Nubchuck, come back. We have much love for Nubchuck. He just doesn't need to be negotiating Wait. for you because you'll end up with like Wait. a hot ham and cheese. Hold on. Hold on. There's a hot busser girl that just walked out of the, the Mexican restaurant. She could do the job at Nubchuck Good. There she is. There we go. Come on in here, sweetness. There we go. And bring the tacos with you. I don't know if I want those tacos. Wait a minute. All right. TJ Reeves, my friend, you are at... The we got to call it now what the Caesars Superdome. The Caesars Superdome. Oh, That's correct. We got to okay. 
Thank you. Okay, so you were there. Yes, I called Saints Hour. And, you know, I was in a bind last week because you were catching me while I was going to pick up tickets, my credential, all that stuff. And I said, okay, we're going to have to do this in line. And I said, you know what? I'm going to pick the game where TJ Reeves is going to be at just to throw a little fire on top of him as well, too, to get you going. (laughs) And I know that you were rooting against me, my friend. And I know when I made that pick, I know you were kind of like, yeah, right, the, the streak is over now. And TJ, I felt so good about that game, not really because a famous Jameis Crab like Winston. And, and, and the bottom line is, feel bad that he did get injured. And then Trevor Simeon had to came in the pride of Northwestern. And I wasn't feeling good at that point in time. But the reason why I made that play were two reasons. One is, yes, I wanted to, because you were going to be there. So I said, oh, we'll have some fun with this because we love having yep. fun on the air. But I did that because of the defense of the Saints, and I knew the Saints were going to show up big, and I know it was Tom Brady, but the Saints, they were the reason they won that football game. I want to know what your eyes saw as you were broadcasting that game on Sunday. All right, so I saw several things. The first thing is I was right there at field level about 20 feet away from when Devin White grabbed Jameis Winston, and and I know a lot is being made of the play because there was a flag on the play, but I've seen the replays. I was standing right there. He was grabbing him from the side, grabbing Jameis Winston's left sleeve and the side of his jersey. And when Winston turned his body, that's when he also grabbed him from behind. It's a bang-bang play. But the, the larger point here is that Jameis Winston had begun to run much more, much more than he had in Tampa Bay uh, over the course of the last three or four weeks. I believe in part because the order – from the top guy in the Saints hierarchy on the offense and as the head coach was, we're not going to throw interceptions. You can take a sack, you can throw it away, you can take off and run, but we're not going to throw interceptions. And Jameis early in that game ran for a first down a couple of times, taking off and running. He went to run that time. Devin White grabbed him, and it's a horrible injury. And he's out, and he's out for a long time because it's not just a torn ACL. My understanding is he tore a couple of knee ligaments uh, besides the ACL and it's going to have to have probably 9 to 12 months of rehab. It'll be the middle of next year at the earliest, if not next fall, before he's able to get back and play. So that that's the first observation. It was very loud, very loud. I remember, they had no fans basically anywhere in a lot of these games, but the Superdome was as loud as I can ever remember it. They were jacked for Tom Brady being in there and being at full 70,000 capacity. And the next thing is you've got, you've got to give the Saints credit. They hung in there with Trevor Simeon. They dink and dunk and get the ball to Kamara, et cetera. But still, leading 23-7, to the Buccaneers are just filthy with the weapons. And Brady brought them back into the lead, throwing not one, not two, but three touchdowns on that Saints defense that you're harping about. Uh, they get the credit for making the final play on the interception. And... Uh, and, and you love these stories. When P.J. Williams picked that ball off and ran down the sideline, he's running right by me into the end zone. And I'm going, well, there goes the postgame show. So much for, <laughs> It's like the immediate thought is so much for the victorious postgame show because the Saints have now clinched the game. So it was a wild day in the Superdome, to say the least. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the atmosphere because that was one of the things we talked about last week, too, on your podcast was that you know this this was the second only the second home game the Saints have had in that building. Remember the first one against Correct. the Packers was in Jacksonville, so I knew that that place was going to be amped up. So I wanted to ask you because it's been two plus years and it's still new to a lot of these fans that were at the game on Sunday. I mean, it, it, did it give you that vibe that that you saw two and three years ago? Yes, and they were into it. And the first thing is they traded for Mark Ingram and brought him back. So they do this thing right before the kickoff where they have a celebrity or somebody do the who-dat thing, where they, where they, they play the gong, they play the big music, and then whoever it is does the signal kind of like a sledgehammer to the ground, and everybody goes, who-dat, 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 going to beat them Saints. And he did it. Mark Ingram came out on the field. They showed him on the video boards. And he's the one that did it. And I'm like, okay. Wow. So the crowd is in the game from the very beginning. They were loud. It was affecting the Bucks some uh, with trying to communicate. Uh, and, again, give the Saints credit. They made the plays that they had to make, especially in the red zone, getting touchdowns. I will say this. There's been a lot of discussion about what Sean Payton was doing at the end of that game in field goal range for the win. The Buccaneers are down to just two timeouts remaining, and he's got a chance to have them burn both of their timeouts 
on first and goal or first down at like the 10 or 12 yard line and they throw the ball twice and stop the clock incomplete twice where you're giving Tom Brady the chance to have at least a minute on the clock or thereabouts to and a timeout to go down and get the winning field goal that was catastrophic clock management that they got away with because of the interception because if Brady goes on to lead, if 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 he leads them down the field and they kick a field goal with all the time the Saints gave them then the first questions of Sean Payton would have been, what were you doing at the end of the game, stopping the clock on your own and saving Tampa Bay time and timeouts? So he escaped that. They won the game. Stay tuned for the rematch in Tampa in December on Sunday Night Football, my friend. I was thinking that exact same thing as I was watching that happen. I'm sorry, are yes. you kidding me? You didn't even use 30 seconds off the clock. You're going to give Brady this much time? No, r- ridiculous. And, uh, you know, again, Brady 28 for 40, 375 yards. Actually had four touchdowns, had the two interceptions there. But uh, it was, yeah, I mean, the, the interception, that was uh, – that was big by the Saints defense. And uh, give some kudos you know, to the Saints defense. I mean, they again, they got to Brady in the first half. But like you said, Brady came back and it seemed like, okay, he's going to will them to victory like he did again. But when they needed it the most, is that interception more on, on Brady or is it kudos to the Saints, uh, you know, secondary or the Saints defensive coaching staff? I think you credit the Saints and they fooled him. What they were doing a lot of this game is they were jumping guys off their receiver, taking risks to try to make plays. And they got the interception in the first half the same way. Now, earlier in the fourth quarter, they were trying that, and that's where Cyril Grayson, a little-known wide receiver, not Mike Evans, not Chris Godwin, not Gronk, not O.J. Howard, Cyril Grayson sneaks, but not Antonio Brown, who was injured. That's why Cyril Grayson was out there. He sneaks behind him because two of the Saints guys that were supposed to stay with him jumped off of him thinking Brady's going to throw the ball to Mike Evans or to Chris Godwin, and he was alone. He was quarantined in the Superdome, social distancing, down at the 15-yard line and walked in the end zone on that easy touchdown. So they took some risk. It clearly paid off. But this is something that Brady and Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator, and Bruce Arians will learn from, that, hey, okay, chess match, if they're trying to disguise what they're really doing and have guys jump off of, of the receiver they're covering and jump into an area where they're supposed to, not supposed to be, then be a half step ahead of that. And when you start to see somebody move, use the pump fake or something and then throw it to the guy that's now open because his defender's taking a risk for a pick. So it's a little back and forth, a little back and forth for the rematch later in the year. All right, TJ Reeves joins us, Bucks uh, sideline reporter, talking about the Bucks losing their second game of the season to the Saints on Sunday, 36-27, the final there. Uh, real quick, I want to talk about Jameis Winston because any time that we see, no matter who it is, a player go with that type of injury, and it was unfortunate, it was ugly, and really this has become his team this year for the first time. And he was doing very, very well. He already had a lost Taysom Hill. And then now Trevor Simeon gets thrown in the mix. So, yeah, the Saints going forward, that's going to be a big question mark. And I know you don't feel sorry for them, but Saints fans <laughs> really, really feel bad. But here's what I want to ask you. You've been with the Bucks a, a long time. And obviously you were there when the Bucks drafted Jameis Winston in, in the first round there. What are your thoughts about Winston as you see him now? And I want you to go back. What kind of guy was he to cover? And, you know, we talk about, you know, these first round picks, and, you know, Winston had his off the field issues as well, too. Your observation and your interactions with, with Winston when he was with the Bucks. So uh, I can't say enough about him off the air, him dealing with me. Sincerely, he is fantastic even after losses, and unfortunately it was far more losing than winning in Tampa Bay. Can't say enough good things about Jameis, the person, and the things he was doing in the community. Uh, By the same token, uh, I I am along with a lot of other people of the same belief. They were never going to be able to do things, do damage in the playoffs, be able to win because he could not stop throwing interceptions and basically when Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich showed up two years ago and the interceptions continued and continued and continued it became apparent it was confirmed this is never going to change if he has to be the guy to consistently throw the ball down the field and what Sean Payton has now done is in the in the small sample size of the first six games of the season plus a quarter in the game on Sunday is he reduced the risk. 
He turned it into low-risk stuff. Throw the ball short. Throw the ball to Alvin Kamara. Throw the ball 10 yards. Throw the ball 7 yards. Don't take very many 5- or 7-step drops. Not that often. Don't throw into coverage. And it made Jameis more effective in that regard. Or as I said to you earlier in the conversation, take a sack, take off and run and try to get 2 yards. Just don't take risks throwing interceptions. And so that had been effective for them to this point. It is at this point an incomplete grade as to whether or not they were ever going to win long-term or successfully with that without team because teams figure out how you're playing. And if you don't adjust and you're not going to throw the ball down the field, it's going to get even tougher to get yards and to get points. So I agree with you. The Saints have got issues now because Taysom Hill's a concussion question mark, and he's had concussions before. Jameis out for the year, and, and are they going to be able with Trevor Simeon to do the things that they need to do to try to throw the ball down the field and make things happen? And I know you probably, I don't know if you mentioned it, you probably saw this, Michael Thomas announced today, their outstanding receiver, I'm not coming back. After the ankle surgery, he's had a setback. He's not playing at all the rest of this year. So I don't know how high-powered the Saints can be right. moving forward here. I just know they were winning a certain way with low-risk stuff with Jameis Winston. It was working early on in the year. I don't know that it can sustain. All right. We uh, talked about you covering the college uh, as well, too, yes. with Compass Media. Yes. You got a big game on Saturday. Alabama and LSU, you're going to be in Tuscaloosa calling that game. You and Tiki Barber, you guys do a fantastic job there on the, on the radio side. TJ, when was the last time we have ever, well, we probably never have, I don't know, seen an Alabama-LSU game where the spread is 28-and-a-half in favor of Alabama? <laughs> this is insane. Okay. So I thought the same thing, but we do have breaking news, Dumb Chuck. We oh, have breaking here we, news. Oh, there he's directing the I show again from Tampa. I did not realize this. They were a 29-point favorite last year in Baton Rouge because they were rolling, and it was at the end of the year. It was the first week in December, and they covered the line, Alabama, with Mac Jones and with Najee Harris and with and with Devontae yeah. Smith. 55-17 to 17 that game. You're right, 55-17. Right, they covered it with a, uh, with, uh, a little room to spare there. Yeah. So I was shocked. I thought never was the answer, that the spread had been that big. But how about this? That was the first time that a defending national champion had been as much as a 22-point underdog, much less a 28- or 29-point underdog, 22-point underdog since going back to Auburn in the 2011 season post-Cam Newton when Gene Chizik was awful and they ended up getting fired. Uh, Auburn was a 21-point underdog to Alabama in the Iron Bowl. So it had been some 10 years since the defending national champion had been that big of an underdog. So now we roll around again to this year, and you look at that line, and to me, I think that's too large. But then I look at the reference point of last year, and I look at Alabama being at home, and maybe and maybe this is going to be a route for the Crimson Tide. I just don't know what kind of LSU team that we're going to get. They're both off a of bye week. LSU got rolled by Ole Miss in their last game. It looked like in the second half they weren't trying that hard. Are they going to try hard, TC? I don't know what you think. For this matchup, it could get ugly early in Tuscaloosa. Saturday night. You know, it's really hard to fathom again when Ed Ogeron said he's gone, and it looked like they they were playing hard. I mean, they beat Florida. I mean, they gave up yep. a ton of points. You know, Two weeks ago, they won 49-42, but you're right. Against Ole Miss, as the game progressed, it was ugly, and then now you're going to be on the road in Tuscaloosa against that machine that Alabama has. But the thing that tells me you could might be able to keep this game close is because Alabama's defense is not that same Alabama defense that we've seen in the past. I, agree. I believe like, like, like 46 in the country. So it's going to be interesting. It's Unfortunately, when you have Alabama-LSU, you think, wow, this is going to be one of these marquee games, and it's it's really not. It's almost kind of a, a second-tier game uh, that we're that we're seeing this week, but uh, hey, it's as far as you know, your position, being able to call a game like that with those two incredible programs and those fan bases, it'll be exciting for you, no doubt. Well, and and let's hope. Uh, I hope this is the case that LSU comes to play and hangs in in the first half, and they may very well. They've got tremendous talent, at least on the defensive side of the ball, to be able to hang in. Uh, then again, Alabama may put it on them. I had the old Miss game with our buddy Steve Berline, our mutual buddy Berline, and I worked our first game, uh, Alabama Ole Miss, back about a month ago, and we thought that was going to be a close game, and it's 28 nothing at halftime. Alabama just whacked them, stopped them on defense, 
ran on them, threw on them, did whatever, and blew them out. So let's, let's see if LSU can keep that from happening at least a half. I think most believe Alabama will eventually pull away. I mean, look at the Tennessee game just real quick. I know you got to go. The Tennessee game's a back-and-forth game where they gave up some big plays, but they scored the last 21 points of the game and covered the line in Tuscaloosa. Now they're back two weeks later off the bye week. I would not be going against the tie being able to pull away in the second half. Hopefully we get a good game for the, at least the first half. There he is. All right, TJ Reeves will be on the radio call. If you're driving around, you can pick him up there, Alabama LSU, 4 o'clock on Saturday. Okay, my friend, plug away. Uh, Buccaneers got a bye, so I, that's yeah. a little rest for you. Uh, plug away everything that you got going. Well, you're doing a fantastic job. I've got the game with Tiki Saturday, Compass Media Network's Bama LSU. Three Dogs Thursday is the podcast, and the doctor is on the podcast dispensing more underdog knowledge, not just a game on the no huddle. We're going to have him for a full 10, 12 minutes. Heck, he might go 15, 17 minutes unless he's got a buffet waiting on him or whatever the case is. You're going to dispense some underdogs with me on that podcast. It's out wherever you get podcasts on Thursday, hence the name, Three Dog Thursday. But it stays relevant for the weekend with college and the NFL and the picks. So I look forward to having you on, and I always love being on with you in the desert, brother. There it is. All right, fight week as well, too. We'll be talking some boxing as well for the rest of this week. Yeah. And then also on with you with your uh, big fight weekend, you and Marquise Johns as well, too. So looking forward to that as we have Canelo we Alvarez and Caleb Plant. We can't get enough of the doctor. We love the doctor. we got to have you on. Appreciate you, brother. All right, be good. Eat well tonight, and we'll talk to you very, very soon. Yes, sir. Be well. All right, there he is, uh, TJ Reeves. Uh, Bucks broadcaster, also doing the college side, and he's got a couple great podcasts to tune in. And like I said, you'll hear me on there with the Three Dog Thursday podcast where you get your podcast. Also, Big Fight Weekend as well, too. We'll be talking about that this week, and those uh, podcasts will be coming out tomorrow. When we come back, we'll talk more NFL. Dr. Christina Madison will join us uh, as well. We talk about Aaron Rodgers, the Packers situation, that, and there's some rumblings going on in Cleveland as well, too. We'll hit that. T.C. Martin Show on this Wild Wednesday.